Welcome to Lady in the Couch, a podcast about mental health and well-being, relationships, and topics specifically related to women. I am your host, Autumn Collier, a licensed psychotherapist in Atlanta, Georgia. Let's have a seat on the couch. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining me on the couch today. So today's episode is an Ask Autumn segment. I received quite a few questions, and these questions are all kind of in the same genre around technical questions about therapy and first session and insurance and different things like that. So these are some questions that we've received from multiple individuals, and they were asking about the process of starting therapy. The beautiful thing is many folks are interested in therapy and counseling, which is excellent. Myself and many of my colleagues talk about how we're seeing that stigma start to decrease or decrease more and more, especially in communities of color, which is beautiful. And many folks have questions like about how to start or what to do to start. So I do also want to reference that we have a prior podcast episode, episode six. If you want to reference that as well, it is titled What to Expect When Going to Therapy. And that kind of talks about the somewhat of the internal process, some of your feelings or, or different things may come up, just about the process when you actually start therapy. So for today, we're going to answer some of the questions about preparing to go to therapy in terms of the logistics, maybe that's insurance, will insurance be accepted, the forms you may have to fill out, and then also what that first therapy session will entail. Many folks are anxious during that first session, which is totally normal. Even sometimes in my notes, I may write client presented somewhat or mildly anxious, which is to be expected because it is kind of anxiety provoking talking to someone that you're just meeting for the first time and really opening up to them. So I'm going to share a couple of things. So one of the first questions that I'll address, and again, this is a multiple questions we received. So the first one is insurance. Will insurance cover therapy? So for folks that have medical insurance and want to use their insurance to pay for therapy sessions, they have the question, will it be covered? All right. So the way insurance works when it comes to therapy is kind of the way it works with medical, probably. In order to use your insurance to pay for therapy, there must be medical necessity. All right. So what does medical necessity mean? It means that there is a condition that warrants medical treatment, medical behavioral health treatment. Okay. So ultimately, what that means is there has to be a diagnosis of some sort in order for insurance to pay for the service. And a diagnosis could be anything along the range of ADHD, anxiety, bipolar, depression, adjustment disorder, adjustment disorder with depressed mood or with anxiety, different things like that. But to use your insurance, there has to be a medical diagnosis. Otherwise, insurance will say therapy is not deemed medically necessary. And for that reason, of course, as a provider, we don't put a diagnosis that isn't accurate and true for the client. So there have been a few times where I've had to tell someone, you really just don't meet criteria for a diagnosis. We can absolutely continue with services because maybe they just want to process just some goals and maybe some interpersonal or relationship things. And they didn't meet criteria for a diagnosis. And maybe they still wanted to continue with counseling. They could do so, absolutely do so. We see quite a few clients without a diagnosis, just just working on some of their personal goals. However, insurance will not pay for the service and they would therefore be a private paying client or pay out of pocket. So if there is a diagnosis from the DSM, our diagnosing manual, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, that is what we diagnose from. If you meet the criteria for a diagnosis, then 
insurance can deem services medically necessary and therefore pay for the service. And with most, just like when you go to your PCP, your gynecologist, when you show up, you pay your copay. If you have the copay plan or you may have the high deductible plan where you pay that full amount and it's applied towards the deductible, but it's just like that. Now, one thing I do want to mention is that we also get a lot of inquiries for folks wanting to use health insurance to pay for couples counseling. So I do know some providers that do take insurance for couples counseling. In my practice, we do not just based on how we do couples. And the main reason is couples counseling is not deemed a medical necessity. The couple getting counseling is not medically necessary. Also within our practice, we treat the couple as opposed to one person within the couple being our targeted client. If insurance were to be used for couples counseling, then that means that there has to be one identified client within the couple and an assessment has to be done on that client. And then services can be provided to the couple via that client or as it relates to that client and their medical diagnosis. So you can't really, or it's difficult to do it to fidelity to just focus on purely the couple's goals, which could be infidelity or communication or whatever it may be. But those things are not within itself deemed medically necessary. So within our practice, we do not accept insurance for couples counseling, but I do know many other practices that do. All right. So another question asked is, what do I need to bring or what forms will I need to fill out or what should I be prepared to fill out? All right. So if you're using insurance, your insurance information has gone, benefits check and all of that. And if you're not using insurance, no worries there. Process is still the same in terms of the questionnaires or forms, consent forms that you'll likely be filling out. Just like when you go to your doctor, there will be that HIPAA form. HIPAA is about, it's a privacy notice. It talks about your rights with respect to your PHI, your protected health information talks about how that can request your protected health information, how your PHI is used, the right to correct or update your PHI. And HIPAA stands for the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996. So it talks about your rights regarding the use and disclosure of your protected health information. HIPAA is why someone can't call and say, hey, I'm calling to see if you're actually seeing Jane Doe and we cannot confirm or deny that Jane Doe is a client. So there's the HIPAA that any medical provider you go to, you're going to be signing the HIPAA regarding your protected health information. Another big one, this is a big one, especially in the therapy world, is informed consent for psychotherapy. Basically, this form really talks about the therapeutic process and is informing you of what you are consenting to as you sign up for therapy. So of course, there's confidentiality. And the way that I typically summarize this to my clients is as such, everything we discuss in session will remain in session between you and I, unless, and then I rattle off the exceptions to confidentiality or the limits to confidentiality, including the client is a serious threat of harm to themselves or someone else, and I'll need to involve others to ensure safety is attained. If there is mention or suspicion of child or elder abuse, neglect, or maltreatment, then I'd have to report that because I am a mandated reporter. If insurance is being used, then they can request records at any time. And also for billing purposes, there is a diagnosis listed on the invoice that goes to insurance. So they are able to see things such as a diagnosis. If there is court involvement and I'm subpoenaed to court, then I may be asked to testify on personal issues. 
And then the other way that confidentiality is limited is if the client signs a release of information designating me to speak with or obtain information from another provider or individual. And the client would literally have to sign off on that. So those are the limits of confidentiality that we really try to go over so folks can understand. And when it comes to working with couples, there's a, another set of limits of confidentiality. There's that shared informed consent that the couple shares, meaning that court is involved, then both would have to sign off for certain records to be released or different things like that. I do have some folks who question or ask about a diagnosis being put down, insurance being able to see it and what that may mean. And we see folks who prefer not to use insurance because with using insurance, a diagnosis is needed. And sometimes they worry, well, if I try to go for this job or what if I'm trying to do this or when I'm trying to get life insurance, does it matter, this and that? And those are things that folks take into account on their own and some choose not to use it. So yeah, many factors can also go into whether you want to use insurance or not. Something I do want to point out that is in our forms, consent forms, as well as probably many other therapists is, especially in this day and age with social media, we have an informed consent policy around social media. And it basically states that we understand social media is popular and a great way to connect and learn about others. However, as your therapist, we will not friend or follow you on social media or accept and or accept friend requests. We will not Google or search our clients online. This is actually against our ethics that we sign up for. We feel that it is important for the client to only reveal what they desire during the therapeutic process and instead of the therapist being privy to the client's daily life via social media or Google search. So it is against our ethics to establish an additional relationship with clients, such as being their therapist and their Facebook friend. We can't do that. That will be a dual relationship. So we do not follow our clients. We don't Google our clients or look our clients up online or social media. So as we still talk about the forms that'll be completed during that first session or prior to you showing up for that first session, you'll probably be asked to complete some scales about how you're feeling, maybe a scale about anxiety, a scale being a measure, a scale about anxiety or depression or mood or different things related to how you're feeling. You'll also be asked to fill out a questionnaire about yourself. And this questionnaire will entail some background information about you. And this will also be the guide that you guys will probably talk about, go off of during your first session. So some of the topics on the questionnaire might be, why are you coming in today? Or what's the major complaint? Have you previously had this complaint? Have you had prior therapy? It might be a checklist of symptoms, whether symptoms could be appetite issues, sleeping problems, depression, crying, anxiety, excessive worry, different things like that. A slew of issues may be listed and you may be checked what you're experiencing. A medical history. A medical history is very important to let your therapist know. And when we say medical history, we are talking about that physical medical health that you may have experienced. You know, it's important maybe for your therapist to know if you're in remission with breast cancer, or maybe you've had a hysterectomy, or you may have thyroid issues. You may have an autoimmune disorder different things like that, especially, well, all of it is really pertinent, but especially if there is a medical concern that could definitely be impacting mood as well. So we want to know that medical history, be pretty thorough with that, as well as any mental health history. And we also want to know mental health history. We want to know it about you, the client, and your family. And sometimes we know, sometimes we don't know, but this could also be a nice time to spark that conversation within your family about mental health history. And something I'll note here is it's pretty interesting sometimes when I see this section during the assessment, I'll ask about mental health history in the family and they'll say, no, I don't think so. And then I'll rephrase it and say, 
Does anyone take any medication for anxiety or any antidepressants or maybe pills at night to help them sleep? I say, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. My mom's been prescribed Xanax ever since I've known her. So I was like, oh, okay. So there likely is a mental health diagnosis there if someone's been on Xanax that needs to be noted. Sometimes too, it starts to make sense where you're seeing a client and they maybe have anxiety, depression, and you talk about family history and it's like, oh, well, my mom, she has depression. She's had it off and on ever since I was a little girl or yeah, my mom's sister, this and the other with her or my mom's brother or my dad's brother, there's alcoholism there. So you really get that history and it starts to connect the dots even sometimes for the client. So they're, now they're not left with this. Well, why am I feeling this way? Or why am I like this? Looking at it from my perspective, when I do the assessment, it makes perfect sense why maybe your anxiety is peaking right now or whatever's going on. That biological genetic factor is big. So we really want that family history, that medical history that can be provided. We ask, when was your last physical exam? We really want to know that. We're big advocates for holistic health, all of it, mental health, our physical wellness, Are we taking care of ourselves? Are we going to the doctor, not just going to our gynecologist? Are we also going to our PCP, getting that preventive physical where they're drawing blood and sending it to the lab? Is that happening? Because that is extremely important for our overall health. So we ask about this as well. We'll also ask about family history in terms of relationships. How's your relationship with your mother, your father, any siblings? How's your relationship with them? Different things like that. We'll ask about trauma. And sometimes people may or may not fully want to go into their trauma on this section, and that is totally okay. We may ask you, have you experienced trauma, any past or present physical, sexual, emotional assault or trauma? And some write a paragraph and spell it out. Others may say, yes, we'll talk. And that is totally okay. We'll also do an assessment for substance use, any substances maybe you've tried. And then we want to talk about and look at your hopes for treatment. So that is a summary of a questionnaire that you may be asked to fill out just to learn more about you. And that usually is the guide for the first session. Using what you filled out will kind of guide us through that first session. It is a process. Don't feel like you have to share every single detail about your life during that first session. There'll be time for that. Yes, the important ones, make sure you say them. And over time, therapists would love to know about your life and what you're experiencing because that gives great insight into how we can better help. Just like, you know, when you go to the medical doctor, tell them all your symptoms because that helps them better diagnose and better treat. Same with us. We want to know what you're experiencing, any past concerns, because that also helps us better diagnose and treat as well. So this is what those preforms or even going into that first session will entail Depending on the practice, you may have these forms filled out before you get there. And then when you get there, you guys will just talk about these forms and what's on them and do that assessment from there. Some of the things I mentioned in the questionnaire, the self-questionnaire, the topics can be sensitive. Topics can be triggering. Episode six, what to expect when going to therapy. There may be tears because you're talking about some of these things maybe you've never said out loud before, or it's stirring up or triggering memories for you that may be hurtful or painful. There very well may be tears and that is so normal. We therapists, we're used to it. We don't need an apology. There's nothing to apologize about. Tears are very common and normal. So this would be your first session. Second session, continuing the process of getting to know you. And then typically goals are developed during that second session. You and your therapist are working to develop some goals, things you want to work on. There needs to be a target. We want to aim for something so that we know when progress is happening. So that's typically your second session. And then the work begins. You are actively engaging and working towards those goals by processing different feelings, themes, learning new skills, different things like that. So it is a process. And throughout that whole time, you are building rapport 
the therapist is building rapport with you, getting to know you better. One of the biggest indicators of client success, success in terms of meeting their treatment goals, is the therapeutic relationship. It is the relationship between the therapist and the client. So building rapport is extremely important and necessary for a successful therapeutic process for the client. All right. So I hope this information was helpful. Again, we've got many questions about the process for therapy, what to do to get started, different things like that. So I hope this was helpful. If you have any other questions that we can answer, we are happy to do so. You can email us at hello at ladyinthecouch.com and we will get your questions answered in one of our Ask Autumn segments. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Lady in the Couch. Feel free to share this episode with all of your friends on your social media platforms. If you are in the Atlanta area and seeking therapy, visit ladyinthecouch.com to learn more. The content in this episode is not intended to diagnose or treat. It is for informational purposes only.